Okay, I'm Clayton. And I'm Sean, and we're men who like men who like movies. We're two queer men who love movies, and we love talking about movies, and after a lot of urging, we started a podcast. So, this week, you picked out a doozy of a film. Well, what did we watch this week, Clayton? Well, I know you were so excited for this, and are so, so excited. excited to talk about this. Oh, I got that. Darren Aronofsky's 2000 film, Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> I love this movie. It's so fucked up. It's so hard to watch. I don't, <laughs> after I'm done with this, I don't want to watch it again until I'm like in my 40s. Uh, Requiem for a Dream. Great, great time. Always. I watched this for the first time in 2008. I remember this very vividly. I was 19 years old. And I finished the movie and pretty much laid in bed and stared at the wall for the next 48 hours. It makes an impact. Sean, I know how excited you were to do this. <laughs> What's your relationship with Rec Room for a Dream? So I saw this movie in like either 2009 or 2010, so not too much long after you. And I was in my Let's Watch Pretentious Movies <laughs> And I bought this movie. I bought the edited version. So it didn't have all the... Hey, it was the only one Walmart had, okay? It was like $7.50. And I bought it. And I watched it. And I just remember being like... (laughs) 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 And that's exactly what happened. Um, Yeah, this movie is... It's rough. There is, I mean, not to say it's not a good movie, because it is. It is a... Had you seen it it since that first time? (sighs) No. I think, I don't think I've watched it since then. I didn't think I I, I wanted to. (laughs) It's already locked in my mind. There's nothing, (laughs) there's nothing to add. (laughs) That's fair. But I mean, so you just saw the edited version, and even that, you were just like... Never well, again. the edited version is like the only difference with the edited doesn't version doesn't have is the like, ass to ass. Yeah it, yeah, it doesn't have a lot of the sex, which I mean, the ass to ass is not to get too far into the movie four seconds in, but like that one, the, the ass to ass is fucked up, but like just the whole thing in general and like the shots of Jennifer Connelly in that, like the ass to ass is awful, but it's like if you don't see that, you still know what's happening to her true and it's almost slightly more fucked up because now you're imagining it as opposed to seeing it eh, i don't know i mean you know it's pretty bad i have I'm seen not the edited version and it's not as bad i don't think it shows them lubing up that giant giant double-ended dildo it's it mm. doesn't and like but that's what i'm saying it's like you don't see that, but you still see Jennifer Connelly's face. And it's just, it is, for me, I'm one of those people where I'm like, that's why I love Jaws. It's like, you imagine what's happening. You don't see it. Like, I don't need everything spelled out for me. And So what did one, you imagine was happening? Were you imagining a giant double-ended uh, dildo? Uh, yeah, with like ridges, grooves, you know, like one of those like, really effed up ones like a ugh. like i'm i was thinking seven 
but like less death. Ugh. Yeah. So like when I saw it, I was just like, well, that's not as bad, but that's still bad. Yeah. But I, I tend to go towards the negative on things a little bit sometimes when I'm thinking about like a movie like this. Normally I'm the happy go lucky guy, but you put Requiem for a Dream in front of me and I'm like, whoa. Oh. Yeah. So would you recommend this? <laughs> uh, that's a loaded question and you know it. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is not a movie for everyone. It is nowhere near a movie for everyone. I think, yes, in some certain circles. And I think in some ways there is a lot in this movie that is like, very valuable um, to, to maybe gain a little bit more empathy for certain aspects of life. Um, but it is, you, I think this will depress the common the common man you know like i think that's a lot to handle um i think it is it is a well-made film but is not an enjoyable film i mean what's wrong with depressing the common man it's supposed to be depressing i think they should show this in high schools instead of oh i agree with you like but that's I the think thing. this it's is like, one of those, like, you need to see this before you die. Like, even if you only watch it once in your life, that's fine. But I feel like everyone should watch it once. So, I mean, I would No, I know. This. But there's a lot of people, I think, in the world that are, I don't know. This is a lot. And it's some people, I don't know. Like, would I show this to my sister? No. Because I love my sister, but she's kind of on the more fragile side of life. She could be a biatch, but she's still my sister. Like, I, 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 you know, and, like, a lot of these things are very hard to watch. And my, like, at least my sister, she's a little bit more on the innocent side of things. So, like, I wouldn't show this to her. Is she over 17? Yes. She can handle it. <laughs> she, oh, I know she could, but I'm not saying I, that's the difference is I don't want her to. Like she's people are this... so weird about protecting their sisters. I don't understand. No, I'm it. not like, and it's not just. It's not because my sister is my sister. It's because my sister. It's of who my sister is, not because she's my sister. Like I don't give a shit if she goes and has sex with people. Like I that doesn't bother me. I don't give a fuck about. I don't have that weird hang up. But like my sister, my sister is a lot more. She's not as worldly. I guess would be the nicest way to put it. Like my sister is, is, is much more of a simple person in life. And she just <laughs> like, what this sounds, I don't, I don't know if it sounds wrong or mean or whatever, but like, it, that's just who she is. She's just, she's never really been the type of person to, uh, that like she, she will go in her room and listen to her music and drown out the world. Like she doesn't, really give a fuck about any of this and i don't think she really knows anyone that's been in it and i would you know if she wanted to experience it absolutely i'm not gonna stop her but am i gonna show this to her no I well i feel like so. you'll never watch it again so the odds of you showing it to anyone would be very slim <laughs> jesus christ you know we'll probably have an anniversary episode on this mm. <laughs> i don't know yeah, tw 20 years <laughs> yeah 20 years <laughs> should be enough time so you want to get into this and get it over with 
Oh, well, do you recommend this film? That's... I said I did. I would. I think this should be shown in school. I think everyone should see this movie once yeah. before they die. Okay. Yeah. Let's uh. Let's get into this. All right. So. This was directed by Darren Aronofsky, director of little things like Black Swan, Mother, and The Whale. Never heard of him. Oscar nominee Darren Aronofsky for Black Swan. And I just have to say, with Tarantino, I love seeing directors in general. Their earlier films are just kind of more raw. Like if you watch Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and compare it to later Tarantino. There's just like an energy and rawness to it that you just don't get later. And Darren Aronofsky, like, if you compare this to like Mother, there's just a different energy. And I just, I love it. I think it's so cool. Well, it's a lot of it is, I think it's guerrilla filmmaking, you know? Like, in a lot of ways, these movies were made for like four dollars on a piece of string like uh, they're not they weren't studio films not really like it's you know like pulp fiction really cemented his place in studios but like both well especially with tarantino at least uh you know reservoir dogs and pulp fiction were basically like indie hits and like yes, uh, Miramax I think did produce it, but I I don't think they were expecting it to be a hit, like not the cultural phenomenon that it was. And it's the same with Darren Aronofsky. Like he had he had X before this, I believe, right? Darren Aronofsky, uh, yeah. Pi is pie, the word I believe one. you're looking for. I was, I was like <laughs> math. <laughs> X is a uh, sexy slasher directed by Ty West. We covered. I was thinking <laughs> of. I was thinking of mathematical <laughs> equations. I really was. I swear, I'm not mixing up Mia Goth and Jennifer Connelly, who was also not in Pie. <laughs> I know. Stop it. I know she wasn't in Pie. It was two dudes. But yeah, that's the thing. Is like I think that guerrilla filmmaking always provides a rawness and, a, and an energy that you don't get when you have $4 million at your disposal or $40 billion at your disposal, you know? Like, it, right. it, it, I think it requires a little bit more creativity because you're trying to, you are fighting to make it work as opposed to just, this is how it'll work. True. I do like guerrilla filmmaking. I don't know that I would say this was like entirely guerrilla. It did have a no. Budget, I don't think so. But... <laughs> it, yeah, and it did have a budget. Like I'm not saying this movie was like, but it 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 it's not. This isn't a Marvel movie. Like it's not. It's not even like a Julia Roberts love interest, but like a you know like a romance. Like it's. It's it, it is a smaller, indie, indie feeling at least film. True. Uh, the screenplay was written by Darren Aronofsky based on the 1978 novel by Her- Hubert Selby Jr. Music by Clint Mansell, who would go on to do Black Swan. And those are two of my favorite score scores ever. I think this is like the most iconic score of all time. I Will Die on That Hill. And the gorgeous cinematography was done by Matthew Libatique, who has done the cinematography for Don't Worry Darling, A Star is Born, Black Swan, Gothica, 
all gorgeous. Don't worry, darling. Sucked. But it was beautiful. He got an Oscar nom for A Star is Born and Black Swan. And the editing in this movie is phenomenal. So I'm putting the editor in here. It was edited by Jay Rabinowitz, who also did the editing for 8 Mile. So a little bit of production and fun facts. Aronofsky optioned the film rights for only $1,000, but that was considered a large sum of money for them at the time. Aronofsky was still struggling financially after Pi, and financiers were also unconvinced on his idea of Requiem for a Dream. Connolly's wardrobe, one piece in particular I will have a lot to say about, consisted of pieces that she had made during her time preparing for the role. An average 100-minute film contains 600 to 700 cuts. This one contains over 2,000, and I love it. You said it feels like watching a trailer for a whole movie. <laughs> it does, does it not? Like, I, one of the things that, about this movie, and it, I absolutely agree with you, this movie is fantastically made. It is a beautiful, the subject matter is rough, but the be- the film is beautiful. It, it, it feels like you're watching, like, an extended trailer for a movie, <laughs> and, 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 like, or, like, tiny little vignettes of their life. Yeah, very accurate. Aronofsky described this film as exploring different types of addiction. The Harry Tyrone Marion story is a very traditional heroine story, but putting it side by side with the Sarah storyline, we suddenly say, oh my god, what is a drug? The idea that the same inner monologue goes through a person's head when they're trying to quit drugs and cigarettes as when they're trying not to eat food so they can lose 20 pounds was really fascinating to me. And can confirm... Darren Aronofsky initially wanted the three main heroin addicts featured in the film, Harry, Marion, and Tyrone, to be much younger than they were in Hubert Selby Jr.'s novel and screenplay. Aronofsky felt that changing the principal characters' ages to around 14 to 16 would further demonstrate the devastating impact of drugs and lead to a greater emotional reaction from the audience. Selby agreed with the director. However, the film's producers felt that American audiences would find the film too horrific if young teenagers were to experience such awful events. Selby and Aronofsky lobbied for the characters to be made younger, but producers argued that the film could not be shown in theaters if the protagonists were made out to be teens. Selby acquiesced to the point, and Aronofsky only reluctantly agreed to continue with the project with the older characters. I mean, I think it's horrific, even with adults. Um, well, and I mean, one thing is, they're still young. Like, they're both... Yeah. They're supposed to be, what, 18, 19? Like, yeah, they seem like maybe early 20s at most. Like, at or at most, I thought they were like 21, 22. Like, at the most. So, I mean, it's still horrifying. Like, but I mean, a 14 to 16 year old, I, this movie would have been destroyed. Euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> when prepping for her Oscar campaign, Ellen Burstyn was being persuaded by the producers to campaign in Best Supporting Actress category. She rightfully refused. The producers felt she was guaranteed to win if she was placed in the supporting category. Eventually, Julia Roberts won for Aaron Brockovich, and that caused an uproar with fans, apparently. I agree that she should not have been in Best Supporting, even though it would have probably won. Well, but yeah, and that's exactly it. Is <sighs> Ellen Burstyn is fantastic in this movie, but I think everyone has kind of equal footing. She's so good in this movie, but I don't think there's a clear star. You know what I mean? 
Like, the, it feels like every story gets the same amount of screen time. And while Ellen Burson is amazing in this, she's so good and heartbreaking and just so good in this movie. I do think that, like, she's not, like, she is not exactly what you would think of in lead actress. I think all of them, if you know, if they had happened to nominate every single one of these four people, I would think they would all have had to be in lead categories. Yeah, and what, which I agree, but like, I also understand where they were coming from because it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily feel like the kind of lead performance that, especially at the time, that the Academy would reward. Yeah. I mean, from a campaigning standpoint, it makes sense. But if you're like looking at the story, it would have seemed like, oh, they're just trying to get her to campaign in the category she can win in rather than the category she really fits in. Right. During the ask to ask scene, Aronofsky mentions kind of casually that it's based on something he experienced firsthand. And I will just leave that there. (laughs) (laughs) When Darren Aronofsky reached the end of Hubert Selby Jr.'s novel, He wasn't sure if Harry lived or died. He asked Selby about the character's outcome. The author answered, of course he lives. When Aronofsky asked why, he said, why he said, of course, Selby responded that the character had to suffer more. (laughs) Wonderful. Great stuff. Yeah. I was going to say, that's just so wrapped up. (laughs) But that's real life for you. Uh, It really is. In the U.S., the film was originally rated NC-17 by the MPAA, but Aronofsky appealed the rating, claiming that cutting any portion of the film would dilute its message. <clears throat> the appeal was denied, and Artisan Entertainment decided to release the film unrated. An R-rated version was released on video so that conservative stores like Blockbuster and Walmart would carry the film with se- with the sex scene edited along with the unrated theatrical version. And I stand by what I said about the two versions. <laughs> <laughs> According to Darren Aronofsky, Tyrone is the only person capable of reclaiming his life. This can be seen in his last scene. In prison, he recalls memories of his mother fondly. And that is all the production slash fun facts I have. The cast, we've got Ellen Burstyn playing Sarah. You know, you might recognize her from little movies like The Exorcist or The Last Picture Show. And oscar-winning ellen burston just saying for the film alice doesn't live here anymore and she was as we mentioned nominated for this film jared leto plays her son harry who was in dallas buyers club house of gucci american psycho panic room and won an oscar for dallas buyers club jennifer Connolly plays his girlfriend marion most recently in top gun maverick she was in noah little children labyrinth and won an Oscar for A Beautiful Mind. Got the beautiful booty of Marlon Wayans playing Tyrone, most recognizable from films like White Chicks and Scary Movie. And our last little character I'm going to mention is the... How would you even describe what he is? Um, Televangelist? Is that a preacher? Motivational speaker for daytime television, whatever. Oh, man, this is such a hard one to call. He's almost like an infomercial guy. Yeah, anyway, it's annoying. But Christopher McDonald plays Tappy Tibbins, and I know I recognize him from Flubber. He was also in The Faculty and The House Bunny and is an Emmy nominee for Hacks. He was such a good bad guy in Flubber. He's such a good bad guy in Flubber. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, basically, this cast is stacked. So you want to get into the actual movie now? 
<laughs> We're going to get through this, Sean. We will. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Yes, let's do it. Um, but can I just start <laughs> with my note here? Um, so oh, just yeah. to, to describe what this movie is, uh, my first note for, in our notes is, wow, 30 seconds in and I'm already uncomfortable. And that feeling won't go away, Sean. It doesn't go away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. This movie makes some wonderful use of split screens throughout. Oh, some of the best. It's so good. The way it frames characters and perspective. I love it. So this movie starts out in the summer of an undisclosed year. 80s at the earliest, but it's hard to tell. I think Jennifer Connelly's makeup looks very modern, but anyway, summer, somewhere between the 80s and 2000, you know, it's irrelevant. And Harry is stealing his mother's TV for the millionth time to trek it all the way down the boardwalk and get some money for some smack, as one does. And... (laughs) I will just mention one little moment in this. I love so much. I think it's so funny. There's not a lot of humor in this movie, so I try to like take the moments where I can to make it through. I watched, We had to reschedule this episode several times, listeners. Uh, so because of everything going on, I ended up having to watch this movie three times to refresh myself. And watching Requiem for a Dream three times in a week is a lot. So anyway, but but when uh, his mother has <laughs> chained the TV to the radiator and he's like, Ma, you're going to make me break my mom's TV radiator causing an explosion. And she's like, the chain isn't for you. It's for the robbers. <laughs> and it makes me laugh because he's that just stealing it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yet again in the notes, literally, this movie just makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) It did. I just, every, there's such an unease to watching this movie. Um, And it feels like, this is, it, it, it just, it has such a sense of darkness to it. I guess that's the nicest way to put it. It is. There's just such a sense of darkness that, like, you feel there's no escape, which, yeah, I guess there's none. Not for these characters, anyway, except maybe Tyrone. Maybe. Yeah. So, Sarah Goldfarb, played by Ellen Burstyn, is very heartbreaking. She lives alone, has nothing in her life. Her husband's dead. Her son's a heroin addict. So, she just sits all day and watches TV. And she gets a phone call and she thinks it's a telemarketer, but they're like, no, actually you've been selected. You're going to be on TV. We'll send you the forms. And this is going to send her down a very tragic path. And uh, spoiler, she doesn't end up on television. It's a psych ward and she's gone. And that's what sets that off. It's very sad. Very, very sad. Sean. I'm proud of you for visiting your parents. Thank you. You're welcome. I like mine. <laughs> I like my parents sometimes. <laughs> no, I didn't say you didn't. I'm just saying I like mine. mine uh, my dad still texts me almost every day just to say hi. That's cute. Now that he learned how to text. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. 
<laughs> yeah. Now he's like, Are you doing okay? I'm like, yeah. Thank you for asking. It does make me feel good inside. Oh. But yeah, she's a... Sarah's a very... I mean, everyone in this movie is tragic, but I do kind of feel extra bad for Sarah because she's... She even says it when she's getting her TV back from the pawn shop that Harry always sells it to. Uh, he's like, you know, why do you put up with it? Like, why do you do this? And he's, she's like, he's all I've got. And it's true. That's all, all she has is her son and her TV. And maybe her friends, like, it seemed like they were, she was close to some of them. But even then, I don't think it's enough. Yeah, she spends most of her day alone. Mm Mm-hmm very sad this whole movie is so sad so so she since she's going to be on television she's like i'm gonna wear this sick ass red dress and look great but she can't get it zipped because she also likes to eat can relate well she's eating to she's eating her feelings yeah like she's sits in front of the tv she has nothing else to do she's sitting there she's eating her chocolates also why is it the strangest way that anyone has ever eaten a chocolate before because she like brails her way through (laughs) this package until she gets to the one left and then she just like circles it and then, like, picks it up. Like, I don't know. It's like Ursula when she's eating the shrimp in <laughs> Little Mermaid. And I'm like, I just, I've never, you gotta I, treat I yourself. don't understand. Make it special. It's an event. I guess. I don't know. It just feels like, it, every time I watch it, I'm just like, why? <laughs> Sorry. The two times I've watched it. She can't get it zipped, though. And her friend Trey can't is get like, it up. <laughs> Trey can't get it up. <laughs> every time i meet someone named trey that's all i think of (laughs) (laughs) sorry that's uh that's way too fun for this movie but yeah you know we gotta take the the levity where we can yeah her friend suggests that she has a great diet book famous last words meanwhile we see harry and marion and tyrone having shenanigans getting high as you do I will say, I'm just going to get my nitpick out of the way. My biggest issue with this entire movie. When you do heroin or painkillers or opiates of any sort, unlike how this movie depicts it, your pupils do not dilate. They get very, very tiny. Pinpoint. I know this. I've done a lot of drugs. And I get that's not as visually dynamic, which in, in the year 2000, it's probably easier to make a pupil enlarge than smaller. So I get why they did it, but it bugs me. The rest of this movie is so accurate, and that just, like, it takes me out every single time it shows it. And it shows it a lot, because they do drugs a lot in this movie. <laughs> in this? I didn't notice. I mean, probably because you were, like, hiding your face. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> I definitely noticed. And yeah. hiding, I didn't hide my face. I hadn't. I had to watch the movie for the podcast. I legitimately watch these movies, everyone. If anyone's listening to this episode, and hopefully people do, yes, we actually watch the movies. It's not just me going off what's in my head. (laughs) Most of the time. (laughs) Yeah. 94%. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, 
this split screen here with Jennifer Connelly and Jared Leto is one of my favorite movie moments of all time. They're oh. laying together in bed looking at each other. But it's split screen. So they're like individually in their own space. And sometimes it'll cross over because they're like touching each other's faces and trailing their fingers across each other's bodies because they're just laying there fucked up. But it like visually reinforces that like even though they're together, they're alone. And it's so cool and looks so amazing. And I fucking love it. I absolutely agree with you there. This is, uh, honestly, uh, this is one of the best uses of, like, Aronofsky does not get enough credit for his use of split screen in this movie. It is, like you said, it makes everyone feel like they're together, but they're alone. And this, one of the things I forgot about this movie was that there is such a sweetness between Harry and Marion that I, I don't remember i i don't remember if i if it really like registered if it really registered with me the first time i saw this and i just i do find th- i think they're a believable couple like and i think they're they, there's such a sweetness to them that it just makes what happens all the more tragic yeah i mean the first time i watched this again i remember like the experience of it and the aftermath, but not the details of the film, because I think I was just kind of like, you know, just kind of experiencing it because it's a lot. Yeah, this movie is more of an ex- this more movie is more of a feeling than like a movie, like in some ways, like it is a very much a movie. But and I mean, there is a storyline, but a lot of this, a lot of what is happening is not necessarily about what is happening, but also how it's making you feel. And how it makes you feel, dear listeners, is bad. (laughs) Yeah. Like, there's no no happiness in this movie. I think, like I said, there is a sweetness. But, like, you can already tell that there's, like, Harry and Marion are are, are a cute couple. But you can already tell that there's something, like, something's not going to work. Like, something is going to fall apart. And it does. Yeah. And I mean, again, I know you can't relate, but I spent some time addicted to heroin myself. Fun times. And again, it was like me, a guy, and a girl. So like watching this, <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is accurate. This is the good times at the beginning when you're like, oh, it's oh fine. God, I can quit whenever I want. You really and... are the Tyrone, though, because you did make it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm I mean, really there's elements of, of myself I saw in all three of them at various points in this movie. This oh, was the absolutely. first time, first three times. <laughs> I can't believe I watched it three times in a week. Get brave. Yeah. You know? Or stupid. For the, I can't for the podcast. Gives me motivation. But it was the first time I had watched it since I'd been addicted to heroin. I'd seen it a few times over the years. But... Not since I had had, like, relatable content uh, with the movie. And so it was very different. But it was really fascinating being like, oh, this is really fucking accurate. Just to how they are at the beginning. And the way they are with each other. And, like, it's just bad. It's real bad. And, 
you know, they're having fun doing drugs. Meanwhile, poor Sarah is trying that god-awful grapefruit and boiled egg diet. You know the one. And is just, like, starving herself alone in her apartment. The clock is, like, barely moving. She's telling herself things like, you'll feel better in the red dress than in a cheese danish. And untrue. Have you had a cheese danish? It's so much better than fitting in an outfit. (laughs) And she dyes her hair because she wants to match the red dress. And um, Sean, does it turn out red? <laughs> it That is a red. It is a, that is definitely a red. <laughs> if that's it's, red, what's orange? It, it could be considered orange, too. <laughs> <laughs> you look like uh, Madonna. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is not Madonna. Um, they do I do, tight, like they do di- dye it a little bit darker later, but uh, it does turn out very uh, orange. <clears throat> she sits with her friends who all these people that live at this apartment, all these old ladies just sit out in front in their lawn chairs on the street and just sit in the sun for a while every afternoon. It is bleak absolutely bleak and they're asking her about her diet and she's like it's great how long you been on it you think it's bleak for them to all sit out there sean if that's what you have to look forward to in old age is just like sitting on the street yeah but at least you're with friends like i mean you're not alone are they friends they didn't notice that she was fucking losing it well they do at the end yeah because she's completely lost it and she's already been in the hospital a little while before they can visit her well but she might not have been able to have visitors and even a little bit later when harry meets meets up with her he notices she's like not right within minutes mm-hmm. and i know he's her son but also he's an addict and you get pretty self-absorbed when you're a drug addict uh the signs are there they just aren't that good of friends she or even says later because she's like they everybody likes me now so I, I I do think that's a bleak, bleak future for somebody. Have more in your life than sitting in a lawn chair on the street every day with people you live near. But don't really give a shit about you. Because if you like somebody, why would you give them the grapefruit and boiled egg diet book? It's just mean. Well, but that's the thing. It's like, that's depending on the time period. It, it Actually, it doesn't matter what time period it came in. 80s, 90s, 2000s. Like, that was the height of diet culture. Everyone wanted to be thin. Like, y- if you weren't thin, you weren't in. <laughs> you know, like, uh, this was the height of Kate Moss, or, like, even, depending on the period, Kate Moss, like, the supermodels era. Like, this is a time when everyone was, you were, Heroin you were chic? To- yeah. <laughs> Legitimately heroin chic, yeah. Uh, you were... If you weren't, how many diet books or how many people were going on a diet and how many times did we tear apart Jessica Simpson or Britney Spears or anyone because they had, they gained two pounds? Yeah. I mean, if you watch Bridget Jones now and every time they call her fat, it's just like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Yeah. Because she's what? 110 pounds and not a hundred. Like it, it, that's the thing though, is like, this was so ingrained in our culture for a long time that like yes you would have this diet 
And I honestly think I feel her friend did kind of care about her. And she was, you know, like, she helps her with her hair. She tries to help her with the dress. Like, I, out of all of them, at least, I think the, the her, I can't remember what her friend's name was. Yeah, I don't know if they even say her friend's name. Ada. Her friend Ada. Like, I feel like she legitimately was trying to help her. And, like, she that saying, I've got a great diet book, like, she's not saying that to be mean. She's saying that to help her. She's like, oh, my gosh, like, I, I can help you with that. Here's this. It, it, you're gonna be miserable but like you'll gain you'll lose the weight and it is that's that is such and i'm it's one of the things i'm kind of glad has gone away a little bit because i still have a hard time with this it's coming back sean i oh i know but like uh, you know there are so many things that like for i am a big dude like i'm i'm a fat man i really am like i'm a fat man and I've been a big kid all my I was big all of my life. Sean, you're after 30. You can't say you're a big kid anymore. <laughs> I'm saying when I was a kid, like I was a, a bigger kid. I wasn't skinny like everyone else. I had broad shoulders and I had like I was chunky. And then, it, you know, you get older and it turns into fat. And it's I'm a fat guy. Like it's hard to exist in a world where like I don't fit through doors going straight through sometimes because my shoulders are so wide or i sit in a or i sit in a roller coaster and like you have to like you're you don't fit in the regular seat and you have to pull it all the way out or you have to do something like it's a hard world like it's very much meant for skinnier people yeah i hate that like on flight bigger people have to like pay for two seats mm-hmm. like that shouldn't be a thing it's gross and like and not all of it not sometimes people can't help it sometimes it is a medical condition but that's just the society and world we lived in like i'm ho- i'm glad things are certain it feels like sometimes things are changing a little bit and there's a little bit more body positivity but i mean there's still judgment yeah, and now all the celebrities are taking Ozempic now and going to get super skinny, so. Yeah, which is great. For... Wait for that judgment to start coming to everybody else. We have to be super skinny like them. Well, not only just that, but like there's a Ozempic, there's an Ozempic shortage now because of that. Because a bunch of fucking asshole celebrities like would rather take the easy way out than they have the money to do that shit you have the money for a personal trainer don't just take a fucking pill you douchebags sorry this is my (laughs) apparently i'm getting fiery on this episode Uh but well i just that i have a friend well you know what the rest of us that can't afford ozempic can do (laughs) eat a grapefruit and a glass of black coffee without sugar and And most importantly think thin i'm thinking uh, thin and just when i'm about to faint i eat a cube of cube cheese. of cheese <laughs> the score in this movie is so fucking good i wish i was better at music so i could do that for you but i'll spare your ears because humming this is just impossible oh, but uh are we talking luxa turner uh no actually so my favorite piece in this i'll mention when i get to it 
uh, I've been listening to the soundtrack because it's just really fucking good and, and to keep myself in this horrible headspace until we could actually record this. <laughs> but the score is really fucking good and the way it just increases the desperation throughout the film. And I mean, it starts off from a pretty grim place. I wrote, I'm not even going to count, but throughout my notes, I don't know how many times I mentioned the score. Like, it's so fucking good. Oh, it's a lot. (laughs) Also, I love how this movie did show, especially, it's just so odd how, like, a food addiction can be just as damaging as, like, being addicted to heroin. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I grew up in the church. Preachers will preach an awful lot about fucking drugs and sex and bullshit but a lot of preachers are real big and it's not because of a medical condition most of the time and just saying gluttony is in the bible taxes yeah and they like to diddle kids whoa wow they do hashtag not a drag queen uh agreed with you but you are firing shots tonight damn i am (laughs) A Requiem for a Dream episode. No no holds barred. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going for the celebrities. You're going for the <laughs> for the clergy. Let's do this. Yeah. Let's take it all down. <laughs> this has a not great depiction of therapist. I know I'm always very positive about therapist on this channel because I'm a big advocate for a therapist. I think everybody should do therapy, but... Maybe don't have a therapist that you can sleep with because that's creepy. Jennifer Connelly's character uh, has one of those. <clears throat> well, I don't think she... I didn't think she was sleeping with him at first. Really? She only... I don't... I think... I think she was... Uh, was that the vibe you got? Or did, oh, was that 100%. How you took it? I've always gotten that vibe. Like, even when she first goes to see it. Because we get two scenes with him. And I got that vibe even in the first scene, but later, you know, he's like, "Oh no, you know, he's definitely." When later, when he says, you know, when she asked for him to turn the lights off, and he said he didn't used to want the lights off, and she's like, I "Oh yeah, know. I did forget about that." No. I, you're right. I don't know. It just, it, for me, it's what it would have brought Marion down even farther to have her be like, "Oh, he, we go out to dinner because like." You know, he's he's keeping tabs on me for my parents, but like, you know, that's I just still weird. Don't go to dinner with your therapist, and like the way yeah. they were talking about the wife, and like the way she said to Jared Leto's character, and she's like, "Oh, I'm not gonna sleep with him. Don't worry." And yeah, they definitely had a past together. So that's a little thing that's going on. We still see everybody doing drugs and partying. And meanwhile, Sarah gets a little bit of advice from her friend again about how one of their daughters lost a bunch of weight just like that because she got on some diet pills. And so she can't handle starving herself because, I mean, it sucks. And so she goes to see a doctor to get on diet pills. And Sean, I know you thought this was funny. And it is another tiny little funny moment. The doctor asks uh, how her hearing and vision is. and <laughs> Not even the doctor, with, the nurse. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Because the doctor basically doesn't talk to her. But, yeah, the doctor doesn't even look at her. And he's just like, how's your hearing and vision? 
And she's like, I have both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Medical professionals were not happy about the making of this movie because it shows them in a fairly negative light. But considering when the book was written, it's pretty accurate, so they can get over it. Plus, yeah, it just really say- works for the story. And again, as an addict, not from like diet pills or anything, but doctors look at you a little differently. The kids I start uh, slinging. Yeah. I, yeah, I've got stories. I know you do, and I've heard a couple. The kids start slinging dope, as you do, and they're making some bank. And Sarah starts taking diet pills instead of food. And this whole thing with her on these diet pills just makes me... You mean amphetamines? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she basically taken legal crack. I hate doing speed so much. I like my sleep. And watching her be so jittery and just clean her house and just not eat and all of it just... I hate it. I hate watching it. It makes me feel gross. I just... I don't like it. She makes me tired just watching her. It's exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. <laughs> Marlon Wayans uh, is thinking about his childhood and his mama, and he just happens to be butt-ass naked with his perfect, and I mean perfect, ass at the top right-hand corner of the screen. If you're watching this movie, check it out. Maybe pause it. Look at it for a minute. It's, it is gorgeous. Best part of this movie. Even better than the score. It's amazing. Oh, God. It's a good ass, but it's not as good as the score. (laughs) The score is pretty fantastic. It really is. I'm being hyperbolic, but it really is a good ass. Anyway, Harry decides to do something nice for his mom, and he's like, what's her fix? She likes TV. Well, let's get her a new TV. And we uh, see Marlon Wayans fucking his girlfriend, and I need him to fuck me like that. It's wonderful. Maybe there are more happy moments in this movie than I remembered. (laughs) Sarah's still making me just feel like I'm on crack watching the movie. It's frustrating. And Harry comes to visit his mother for the first time in a while. Fridge is empty. She's all excited. She lost 25 pounds. And she's like, oh, do you have a job now? And his response is so funny. Sean, can you tell me how he responds to her? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sort of a distributor. For a big importer. Yeah. That's code for I sell drugs, mommy. (laughs) He notices within a very short amount of time that she is fucked up. And is like, are you on uppers? And she's just like, no. While she's grinding her teeth and being jittery as fuck and empty refrigerator. And now she probably has dilated pupils because that's what speed will do to you. And... she sorry i was him. gonna say do you oh, think go. do you think that the eye thing is then just her eye always no it shows and different they, ones well okay i can't I, that honestly i can't remember because it's very much like diluted diluted dilated eye diluted eyes yes sorry. the sorry. diluted sorry. eyes what sean said that is exactly how it's pronounced diluted. i'll let you think that yes dilated dilated i'm not <laughs> i'm smart you're very smart. I'll give you a gold star when we finish. Oh, thank you. I'm not that smart, but thank you. 
And she explains because he's like, why is being on television so important to you? And she's like, you drove up in a cab. Did you see who had the best seat? Everyone likes me. And she's like, it's a reason to get up in the morning. It's a reason to smile. It makes tomorrow all right. And it is so sad. It is heartbreaking that she is just like clinging to this like fucking life raft. It's sad. Even Harry cries in the cab on his way home about his mom until he stops to do drugs and then he's better because it makes you very numb. There's a shooting. It is now fall. And we see a really gorgeous shot of Jared Leto and Jennifer Connelly laying on the floor surrounded by her art because she designs clothing. Sean, the armpit top. Oh, I, I know uh, you hate it so much. I hate it so like, much. It's that's a legit thing. <laughs> like that's an actual I have never seen an outfit with just the armpits cut out. It's so fucking weird. And I'm like, this is a gorgeous shot, but I'm distracted because I'm just staring at Jennifer Connelly's armpits and wondering why on earth her shirt was made like this. <laughs> um, well, she could have made it herself that way, for one. And for two... I'm sure she did, because she's like a clothing designer and Jennifer Connelly made a lot of her outfits. Well, not like actually Jennifer Connelly. But... No, like she did. Jennifer Connelly stuff... really made it. She, like, designed the stuff and everything. Oh, wow. Like, she was really, like, living in character. Good for her. She got a place in that building, was hanging out with addicts and going to, like, support groups with people and designing clothes and wearing stuff and listening to stuff she thought Marion would like. Yeah. I was gonna say, I do think Jennifer Connelly is kind of an underrated actress in some ways because she is probably the... I love her in this movie. Um, She... I think you're the one that described it best, so I'll let you describe it. So I've never been a huge like Jennifer Connelly fan. I think she's quite good in Top Gun Maverick, but after being on drugs and watching this movie, before I would have always said, like, oh, Jared Leto's the one that has that drug addict performance nailed. But Jennifer Connelly, after watching it, is the one that really sells it to me. Like, oh, she knows what it's like to be on drugs. Like, not like actually, I don't think Jennifer Connelly's ever been a drug addict or anything, but performance wise it is so spot on and it's really sad because she's her and harry are sweet together she tells him that she makes he makes her feel like a person she's just her and she's beautiful and it's just really sad again like knowing how this turns out and everything and just being reminded of what all happened with me and my heroin peeps and it's just sad it ruins lives. Meanwhile, the uppers aren't working as well for Sarah. And she's having um some side effects. Did you say side effects, Sean? <laughs> she's plateauing. I think that's how they call it, right? Plateauing. Yes. But she's also uh hallucinating a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yes, yes. Um her T V is a definitely a, a monster. Yeah, she's seeing herself on TV. The fridge is starting to rumble ominously, as they do. And as it gets closer to winter, the drugs dry up, as drugs will do sometimes. And that makes addicts a little bit uh, anxious. Jittery? Yeah. 
withdrawal is, <laughs> I have gone through cancer. I have gone through a lot of things, but withdrawal is the worst experience of my life. Would not wish that on anyone. It is so bad, which is honestly why it's so hard to get clean. You can want to get clean all you want, but like withdrawal, like you will do anything. And I mean anything to make that stop. And uh, it's rough. His uh, injection site. Jared Leto's, I mean, is starting to get a little little nasty. And they have just a tiny, tiny bit of drugs left. Because, uh, you know, everyone's dry. But there's supposed to be some the next day. And Jennifer Connelly is like, I can't fucking sleep. I'm having nightmares. She looks gross. Barely because she was, like, breaking out into full body, like, night sweats. As you are wont to do when you're in withdrawal. And... So she convinces, convinces him, like, let's just do it. We do the rest of it. We'll have more tomorrow. And Sarah Goldfarb, Ellen Burstyn, is uh, a little concerned because the pills aren't getting her high anymore. So she goes to the doctor. She's, like, full-on hallucination, hallucination mode. The doctors don't even fucking look at her. Nope. They really don't. Uh, and it's I, this is definitely one of the reasons that medical professionals did not like this movie because it really does not paint them in a good light. Her doctor has never sets an eye on her, never, and I think that's heartbreaking. Like if he had looked at her for like a split second, he would have realized there was a problem. Yeah, like, and it's not until much later that she. You know that 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 they realize that anything's wrong with her is after she has a psychotic break. Yeah, it's not even doctors; it's like the community that's like, uh, yeah, she goes this bitch crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like the one guy does like the one doctor is like who is actually trying to help her sees her, you know. But it's it's almost it's too late. (laughs) Yeah, at that point, she's just gone. We cut to the next morning, and they weren't able to get drugs. And they start to get a little vicious with each other. Jennifer Connelly is, like, spitting venom with her lines, and she's just like, it's your fault we don't have something for the morning, even though it was totally her that wanted to. And, like, when I've been on those sides of the com- – I've been on both sides of that conversation, and uh, they played it very accurately. I can't even imagine this. Like – yeah. Like, I'm kind of surprised it didn't turn into a fist fight. <clears throat> yeah. I was, like, I thought he was going to beat the shit. She was going to beat the shit out of him, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that probably happened with the camera cut because that's usually how it goes. They find out there is going to be some shit coming in for Christmas because drug dealers are very considerate and want people to go through the worst time of the year, holidays, with with some with some dope. But the I'm price sure is like, going to be double. I'm sure it's like Christmas for him. Yeah. Have a little uh, little white stuff to snort. Or shoot, if that's your thing. And they're pissy. And she's pissy. And Jared Leto's like, pretty much go fuck your therapist if you want some money so bad. And... She says, getting the money is not the problem. I don't know what I'm going to have to do to get it. 
and um, I never had to have sex for drugs, but I would have. If we could have pip pimped her out, and I will not name her, we would have done it, and she probably would have done it. Desperate times. It's very accurate. So she goes out to dinner with her therapist. Sean, do you like this moment from her? Where she has her, her little moment where she's thinking of a you smug fuck. <laughs> yes, I, w- I was thinking of the you smug f- <laughs> It's like a little quick imaginary thing of like what she wants to do in the situation because he's being very condescending and like touching her hand. And so she imagines she fucking stabs him stabs him really hard with a fork and just screams in his face you smug fuck so sean this is the part of the score that is my favorite in (laughs) in the soundtrack the title of this track is marion barfs i mean well she does after oh shit no i'm wrong i'll have to cut that that's not where it happens that's after she i I thought that was after she goes to no, it's it's there. It is this part. She pukes after. It is yeah. this part because she goes. It it follows her in the Ele- in, elevator. In, in, in the elevator, she pukes. Yeah, but yeah. it's my favorite piece of score from this movie. It is absolutely amazing. Look it up. Look up the track "Marion Barfs" from the Requiem for a Dream soundtrack. Music, well, amazing little piece of music. I was gonna say I. Just in case you haven't say heard us say it enough. This really is one of the best scores ever made. I would like, say it's the it, best score ever made. I can't think of um, one better. I really love Titanic, but that one might just be my nostalgia. And I Titanic also... is a beautiful score. Like that's probably the score I've listened to the most in my life. Mm-hmm. But I think because also the score really captures the vibe of this movie so well. So it's kind of upsetting to listen to. Like it'll put you in a weird headspace. Like I've I've listened to it a lot this past week and like I'm ready to fucking slip my wrists. It's it's a lot. But it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. But if you just check out like one check out three pieces. Summer Overture, the very first track, Marion Barfs, and then Lux Eterna, which is the second track from the end. She gets home from this and her and Jared Leto are just like sitting on opposite ends of the couch, not talking, like there's already been almost like an irrevocable split between them. Like they're stuck together in this dance of drugs and addiction, but like they're not connected like they used to be if ever they were. But I think they were because they do have a very sweet connection, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, I think a lot of what happens between them is what pulls them apart. I mean, understandably so, but, you know, yeah, I agree with you. I think they did have, I think they had something, and I think that it ends. Yeah, so the drugs come into town, right? Not a lot of drugs. Everybody's fucking fiending. And so a ton of addicts show up to score. And this heroin deal is fucking terrifying, like... I've done some sketchy drug deals in my life. I've had guns pointed at me before. But the thought of being in a huge crowd of addicts trying to get 
shit in this situation and then they start pulling out a gun and start firing like horrifying and I also felt their frustration and their pissed offness at being that close to scoring and being like that was our only fucking chance and it's gone like I went through so many emotions watching this movie and just kind of like reliving everything it's uh it's a real fun time <laughs> yeah fun. not fun at all triggering not, yeah i was gonna <laughs> say fun is not the word i would use to describe it but yes meanwhile i know you're being facetious but yeah meanwhile marion's freaking the fuck out ripping the apartment shreds just looking for like anything and <laughs> the amount of times i spent just like looking for like the pen I would use to snort stuff out of and just so I could like scrape it out and maybe get like a few little grains just to like make it stop. Uh, it's very, very accurate. I was like, oh, <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> it's just, it's a rough watch, guys. But it's worth it. It is worth it. It's an hour and 40 minutes of wonderful filmmaking and really bad fucking vibes. Jared Little gets back with no drugs and Marion is fucking pissed. And this is my favorite moment from Jennifer Connelly in this entire movie that just encapsulates it. Like they're a good couple bad for each other. But again, like you can barely, very clearly see like they did have something once and she's flipping out cause he didn't get, didn't get drugs and it's an accurate freak out, but he's just like, there's nothing out there. And she like the venom that she has in her voice when she like spits out like I don't give a shit you fucking loser like it is nasty it is chills worthy line delivery and the way that I don't know where she got that from but that is straight up like addict and withdrawal hateful rage like I've never seen that from an actor or a person that wasn't like pissed that they've been like two days without drugs and you didn't bring any home for them when they were expecting it it's um it's really accurate watch that scene drugs will make you very very nasty sean are you happy that they let ellen burston look amazing for a couple scenes yeah they had to give her something i hope it was the end of the shoot (laughs) Well, they actually, they used, like, fat suits and, like, neck pieces. Like, they did a lot of stuff to her to make her look how she does also, in the movie. Also, one thing I didn't think, I don't, the neck in the beginning does not look great to me. I was about to say, yeah, they used, like, several neck pieces, uh, two different fat suits, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah that so, is they the do let her thing. be her beautiful self in a few scenes when she's, you know, just hallucinating herself on TV as one does. Because you aren't sleeping. My friend Jordan was doing speed and heroin at the same time and was up so many days. At one time he was driving to Indianapolis to get heroin and literally was hallucinating stoplights on I-65. Jesus. Yeah, super safe. I don't know how we're not dead. The fridge is being super menacing to poor Sarah and out of context, it's kind of funny. <laughs> In context, yeah. it's just really In sad. context, it's... <laughs> Well, it's also 
it really is kind of scary like you know it's, it's not happening but like <laughs> it is very much framed like a horror movie uh, yeah it's almost like the mangler or something i don't know it's really creepy i love that you say that like you've seen the mangler <laughs> um that's about an evil washing machine sorry oh my god it's written by stephen king of course it was then again i did watch a movie about a malevolent tire so whatever oh you saw rubber yeah i have have seen rubber and i'm pretty sure i'm i i was gonna say i have not seen all of the mangler i only saw parts of it um but it is based on a stephen king short story and is directed by toby hooper and it has robert england and ted levine wow yeah so i mean like it's that happened um i mean as much as i love toby hooper the end of his career yeah i mean hey you do what you gotta do for a paycheck man you did serious hallucinations come out of the tv and into the apartment as they do everybody's laughing at her and making fun of her and she's like i'm an old woman this apartment's old it's really sad Everyone in the TV and the people in her apartment starts chanting, like, feed me, Sarah. <laughs> it's just, it's rough. We get a title card of winter, which is when it really all goes to shit. Deep breath, Sean. So, Sarah is freaking out. Her roots are showing because she has not yet heard from the television company when the fuck she's going to be on TV and she's getting a little pissed. She's like, you know, I got skinny. I dyed my hair. I need to be on TV. So she's just like, at this point, completely lost it, running through the streets. The edit, this movie is so well edited. At this point, the the cuts start coming a lot faster, cutting between the characters. So she's like running through the streets Tyrone and uh, Harry are driving to Florida to get drugs. And it's just Marion's doing something else that I'll describe in a moment. <clears throat> Sarah's doing, on. The, uh, Sarah's she's doing on, someone else. She is. Sarah's telling anyone who that'll listen, like, I'm going to be on television. And eventually cops get called and take her away because that's just what you do but they do at least take her to the hospital marion needs drugs and earlier in the film we hear about this guy who does have some but he's not selling it at least not for money he likes as they so eloquently put it he likes pussy and Tyrone Marlon Wayans is like, I offered, but he said I wasn't cute enough. <laughs> and I'm like, I did totally offer to fuck my heroin dealer at one time when I was out of money. Sadly, he was straight. So I had to go without, but I get it. So Marion calls creepy fucker. And when he, ugh, that laugh when he like knows she's at that point of desperation is so gross. It's so gross. Did it make your skin crawl, Sean? Yes. I was going to say, honestly, Keith David is so good. At, like, he's not something somebody we mentioned, um, which I'm surprised at, actually, that you didn't mention Keith David. Um, but, yeah, he is... Uh, he's so creepy in this role. He's so... He's... Uh, he's a monster. 
for lack of a better word because he is very much exploiting women who have a, a who have a drug addiction for sex and essentially they're prostituting themselves for him that's gross it's so gross Meanwhile, Sarah's in the hospital, and it's so hard to watch. She's lost it. We're seeing Harry, again, still on his way to Florida. He's shooting up in a... uh... How would you describe it, Sean? Um, I mean, it is gangrenous. Like, it's completely blown out. Um, He has a gaping wound and it is turning black and necrotic and he shoots up in it and we watch sorry um two seconds because i just got a little nauseous uh (laughs) okay go ahead it's so i I wasn't (laughs) yeah it's it is i am a per like i am a huge connoisseur of horror movies i love them Generally, I can watch pretty much anything, me. but like I, this one I I had I did I have to like force rewatch the to end of it, and I had to turn away the first time, but I I did rewind it and make myself watch it. I made a few notes about it because we see it a few different times in different stages and in different contexts. And like first, I'm just like, oh, it's so gross, and later I'm like, his arm is going to make me throw up. <laughs> it's just it's awful. We cut back to Marion. She's with dude wanting her to do things for him. And he makes the comment after he whips his dick out. Like, I know it's pretty, baby, but I didn't take it out for air. And just pushes her head down. And... Ugh. And here I make another comment about how nice the score is while all of this horrible <laughs> shit's going on. <laughs> I really wish everyone could see our notes because it is legitimately every five, every five, like, every five lines, lines into our just notes like, oh, is this like, this score is so good. <laughs> when she finishes and probably has a very salty mouth, he's like, well, there's... Oh, why uh, did you have to say it like that? Because. Why did you have to say it like that? because and she has more than a salty mouth i feel oh uh, no i think he just made her suck his dick do you think so because she's yeah. it seems like she's made... getting dressed at the end of it and he's naked oh i still i i don't know i feel like she just sucked his dick no i then... i always felt like that's just the prelude to a kiss mm, i don't know just what he oh, prelude to a kiss uh <laughs> Because of how he phrases what uh, is available that weekend, he's like, you know, that's more like play. So I feel like, well, it's just something about how it was worded. I was like, I feel like she didn't have to do that much for that. And he also makes that comment about like white girls giving better head. So I think that's just all he meant. Because, you know, like when you're doing something sketchy, like you have to start out small, like. I'll make her think she just has to suck my dick and then next time I'm going to make her fuck me and then like the next time I'm going to fuck her in the ass or like, you know, you have to do it incrementally, I feel like. <laughs> do you really, yeah, that's how he does this, huh? Um, yeah. She just sucked his dick and then he goes straight into ass to ass. <laughs> well, true, true. 
Yeah, no, he's straight up. Because if he just had her, if she just, why would he get completely naked for a blowjob? Like, I get it. Some guys do that. And like, but he's at home and she's putting her clothes back on when he tells her all of this. Like, I for sure think they, he, they, that they had sex. I mean, uh, a lot of people get naked for blowjobs, and if you're just, like, fucking around, especially, like, you're at home, you don't need to, like, do a quickie in the car and just whip it out, like, until you start out, and then you take take clothes off during. But she tells him, like, she's not going to be there Sunday, because she's not really hooked, and, uh, sure, Lie sure, Marion, I wasn't either. That was a lie. Sean, I've never seen Perfect Blue. But Aronofsky, like, literally bought the rights so he could do this shot of Marion screaming in the tub. How close oh is God. it? Oh, it's very close. And honestly, you would love Perfect Blue. If you it's could... on the list. Aren't we covering it? Uh... Yeah, we're actually doing it next year. Yeah. I was like, I thought we were covering it. Yeah, and it is a movie that I, I recently discovered myself. And it is, I, it's one of those movies that I think you will absolutely love. Um, you just, it's going to be one of those you'll have to, uh, this is a very good reference and Perfect Blue is a very good, um, it's a very good, like, examination of identity and in some ways I feel like this is kind of an examination of your identity too, like who you are past what your experiences are. When you're an addict, that is your identity. There's nothing else. So, I mean, like, I think that exactly. And so I feel like it's a very much a, it's a very good representation. And that is a, basically a shot for shot remake of that, of that scene. Um, And honestly, I, if Darren Aronofsky directed Perfect Blue, I think I'd be okay with it. But that movie is pretty damn good. I don't, I don't need one. And I don't know if, uh, there are parts of it that I, I think would work that I don't think would work as well if it was made for real as opposed to an anime. Yeah, I feel like anime live-action adaptations, as a general rule, fail very, very hard. Um, I don't know if it's very, very hard. I know there's been a couple that have been pretty good, have been at least okay. Name one. Um, one. It was... I don't watch anime. Like, yeah, yeah Weeby Bop really. sucked. Death Note sucked. Ghost Attack Michelle on Titan. sucked. Mm, has that had a live action remake? Uh, yes, it did have a live action. I feel like I never heard anything about it, so maybe it just was like unoffensive and lame. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> Marion screams in the tub underwater. It's really cool. Great shot. It's a perfect blue shot. Yes, yeah. perfect blue reference. I'm not. I'm not the person to ask anime about. He trying to shoot up in that nasty ass arm. Ooh. Poor Sarah's in the hospital, literally being force fed. It's just yeah. a lot. These characters are going through some stuff. And Jennifer Connelly is getting ready to go to her um... Sunday meeting. Yeah, Sunday yeah, gathering. Some people go to church. Some people do that. She's putting on her makeup and gorgeous eyes, girl. Absolutely beautiful 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 i love her makeup in this movie 
I'm super pissed. This part makes me really, really pissed. And I know laws have changed, but since Jared Leto's arm is practically falling off at this point, Tyrone, who is a good friend, is like, no, I'm taking you to the fucking hospital. And instead of helping him, they're like, oh, we're just going to call the cops and have you both arrested. Not like we're going to take care of your arm and then like whatever. And I know for a long time, like literally if somebody was overdosing or something like, nah, we're not taking the hospital because we're all going to get arrested. And now it's more they can't do something. I mean, if you have like drugs and something on you, I guess. But at the time, because I know for a long time they would like just not help you and that's so fucked up it makes me so angry watching this movie just like it pisses me off every single time it's like that doctor should be have his license taken away it makes me really angry cutting back from everyone getting arrested they have switched from speaking up did you recognize the doctor i i did recognize the doctor yes it is uh oh my god what's his face yeah (laughs) like (laughs) trick-or-treat yeah they're feeding Sarah with a feeding tube now. It's horrifying. Ugh. <laughs> I love your note in here when I saw that, by the way. Um, yeah, in I case said, everyone... <laughs> my exact note is <laughs> OMG feeding tube. But why did I pick this movie a year ago? <laughs> uh, so just so everyone knows, I was very much not on the <laughs> I was not wanting to do this movie for the podcast. Even tonight, literally right before recording, Sean's like, you know, we don't have to talk about Requiem for a Dream because, like, our guest had life stuff come up, so it was just going to be us. He's like, you know, we could do, like, a list or something. Like, you know, what about our favorite Bond songs or something? You know, we could rank... <laughs> Tried so hard to get out of this. And, and like, I watched just this like... movie three fucking times. I've been in this headbase for a week. We're fucking doing... <laughs> See, this is why I... One of the things I love about the two of us is you're very much like a method actor on things and you're like, I'm going to watch it every time and I'm just going to, me, I'm very much like, uh, I'm like, I'm much more of a uh, non-method actor. So I watched it and I did come home and watch the end of it so I could get back in the headspace. But like, generally, if I know the headspace, I know where I'm trying to get to. And you're very much like, I'm going to watch it all the time to make sure that No, I'm I mean, ready. I usually only watch stuff like once or twice for the podcast, but because we kept rescheduling, because I'm ridiculous with my schedule, I had to record like three other podcasts in the meantime. So it's like, I already had to do all this other stuff and like had all these other movies in my head. And I'm like, okay, I need to like refresh myself on this. And yeah, it just, it happened with Compa- this movie of all things. <laughs> And because Requiem for a Dream is Requiem for a Dream, it's not a movie I'd watched a million times over the years. So if it was Bridget Jones, yeah, I would have just like watched it once just for the hell of it to take notes. And then (laughs) just been like, cool, we could talk about this. I don't need to watch it again. Requiem for a Dream, not so much. So, yeah. Anyway, almost almost to the end, though. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, please. Yeah. (laughs) Can we talk about... The doctors and Sarah for a moment. Uh, yes, of course we can. Um, you mean the orderlies and Sarah, or whoever is getting her signature? Oh, that's yeah, that is the doctor. But I mean, honestly, it's kind of a. It's 
I was honestly surprised that they needed her signature because she is very clearly a danger to herself. And I'm surprised she's not just fully committed, like, in general. And just he could have done whatever he wanted. Yeah, it's like, here, sign this. We're going to do Electroshock. We've had amazing anime. And she's just, like, fucking gone. But he doesn't even say Electroshock. He says ECT. He says ECT, which I know is electroconvulsive therapy. But, like, not everyone knows that. Like, not everyone, and I've, you know, electroshock therapy can work for some people, but it does not, it is a, bar. it, it almost feels barbaric to watch. Yeah. And believe me, we get to see it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I know we, I, we've talked about how, like, how good all the actors and actresses in this movie, but I do understand. I mean, most of own. them are Oscar, like, nominees slash winners. Yeah, like, and everyone in this movie is at the top of their game, but and but Ellen Burstyn really does. Uh, she's so good in this too. This performance, I, I couldn't I even do, imagine being in the room and watching that. Like, I'd be like, more "Oh my I, god, are you okay?" <laughs> the the more I think about it, the more I, they they were absolutely right. This is a Oscar. I I would have done her for best actress, and then Jennifer Connelly for best supporting, because. I just think, I, honestly, I think everyone in this movie could have been nominated. I don't think that Jared Leto would have gotten Best Actor, in my opinion. I think both he and Marlon Wayans would have to go for Best Supporting. But, uh, yeah, Ellen Burstyn really does uh, not The only one I would maybe put in Supporting would be Marlon Wayans, because he doesn't have as big of a part. I feel like you don't see him nearly as much, but the other three are like... I think they would have to go in a lead. But Ellen Burstyn, like, it's a go-for-broke performance. Like, it is genuinely unsettling to watch. Oh, how her eyes just shift. Ugh. Like, when she's she's just sitting there and her eyes are just darting all over the place and her lips are dry, dry and cracked because she hasn't drank anything in days. But, I mean, like, the feeding tube scenes and the electroshock scenes are just, like horrific to watch yeah they're it's pretty she's awful. so good like honestly even if it wasn't for you know the editing and for like just ella burston's performance watch it watch it for that and have if some chocolate can. for afterwards because she'll need to feel happy again <laughs> i highly suggest you watch like something very happy after while i'm ranting about institutions can we talk about the justice system for a minute because after they fucking arrest Tyrone and Harry for just going to the hospital to try to help his arm. He's in jail for like I don't know how long. At least a day or so. With this arm just like handcuffed to the wall. They're not doing shit about him and just making everyone go work and then are finally like oh well he's probably not going to last. We should probably get him to the doctor while his arm is like rotting. And the way the justice system treats inmates as less than people is disgusting. And that shit has not changed. Unlike, you know, the medical industry, maybe. Mm -hmm. I hate the system so much. It's so rigged. It's so fucked. Makes me sick. They're literally just asking people, like, if you can hear me and see me, you're good for work. And, uh, then it's showtime. Ugh. The cuts are uh, going very quickly now. 
we're basically getting the final song all in this or some by song I mean like piece of score and Marion is at a um uh that Sunday gathering which by Sunday gathering uh her and another girl are but us she's at a table. sex party well but it's not even of, a sex party it's yeah. a sex show yeah because a bunch none of, of the other men are yeah. joining in a bunch of men are just watching her and this other girl do a bunch of things to each other and to themselves meanwhile harry is getting shipped to the hospital we're getting electroshock on poor sarah uh marion's going ass to ass with the girl with a giant and i do mean giant nope bigger than you're thinking double-ended dildo and um tyrone is being berated and belittled by officers or guards or somebody and harry's losing his arm they got to take it off the shoulder Everyone at the sex show is screaming for the girls to come, 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 come. Sticking money in their mouths like it is degrading. Jennifer Connelly's eyes are just dead. It's it's a lot. Harry is uh, imagining something he imagined earlier in the film, running to Marion on a pier. And this time she disappears before he gets there and he falls into blackness comes to realizes his arm is gone and he's been saying Marion in his sleep and the nurse is being pretty kind and is like who's Marion well she'll come and Jared Leto just breaks down and starts sobbing and is like no she won't because she won't won't. yeah all she cares about is drugs and is doing whatever she she does get get. and she's coming home from her Sunday night gathering and all she does is cuddle her 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 drugs to her chest and it's a roll of money is that money no I thought it was a bag of drugs no it is money is it yeah because I thought that's what he was paying them in no she was getting money for drugs so I think she got money and drugs and like took the money home and she they all turn into fetal positions during this and again this final song is just like oh it's so good go listen to Lux Eterna they all turn into fetal positions Jared Leto's crying in the hospital bed and turns over and goes into fetal position Marion with his arm off yeah his arm is gone Marion has her money and probably is quite sore and lays in the fetal position on the couch and the camera is like up above them all and like circling the music's crescendoing it's very dark uh tyrone is in his cell and thinking about his mama and turns on his side fucking sarah is completely gone and turns to her fetal position in the loony bin and she is imagining that she's finally on television her son's there he's decent and uh, she's like, I love you, Harry. And he's like, I love you too, Ma, even though like. Well, and he's not even there to meet her. She wins him. Yeah. Like in it, they're like, oh, you've won the best prize of all, no. your son. No, nope. Which and, she um, really do. The movie ends. And that's how it ends with 
the characters in that situation. That's how they all are. Oh, and I forgot to mention Sarah's friends, and I say friends loosely, do come visit her at the hospital, and she comes out. Her hair is all cut off and horrible. I mean, it's like Anne Hathaway and fucking Les Mis. Like, that's how her hair is cut off and looks. And she's just gone, and they're crying, and the music's crescendoing. Like, it's just... It's rough. I got very, very lucky. That's how I felt after finishing this besides bad was this could have been my life if I didn't get out and not a lot of people do get out. And um, this is the second most upsetting film I have ever seen. Sean, we did it. We got through it. (laughs) So Sean, do you have any final thoughts on Requiem for a Dream and what would you rate this on Letterboxd? So, um, second movie I, that has Jennifer Connelly on a pier, um, which the first is Dark City, if anyone wants to see it, and that is way less depressing than this one. <laughs> it's Still a dark, dark city, Sean. Like, it's just dark because it's, like, set at night. <laughs> um, uh, it's, this movie, it's a five. It is, it, I wavered, I wanted to give it a four and a half, but there's no, there's no reason I can't, I, I, there's no reason to give it anything less than a five. <laughs> it makes me upset. Yeah. Deduct it, half well, a point. <laughs> that's exactly where I was at. And I was like, no, that's not fair to this movie for that. Um, looking at it strictly from, from every angle, it is a work of art, but it is also a, a horrible cautionary tale. It is a, it is a tragedy and the fact that people are still going through all of this and it's just heartbreaking. Um, I, yeah, it's an absolute five. It really is extremely well made. It is hard to watch. I do. I, I agree with you. I don't foresee myself watching this anytime soon. Um, and, if it's just it's one of those movies that like i am so happy that i've seen it but i hate the fact that i have at the same time because like (laughs) it is every once in a while i'll put it'll pop into your mind and you'll just be like but yes it is um it is a very very well-made movie very well very deserved accolades and honestly probably could want some more like um yeah the only oscar nomination this movie ellen got burstyn. was nomination and for ellen I, burstyn and the fact that this didn't like win an editing, editing oscar is a cinematography score. score um honestly i feel like jennifer connelly could have been nominated i feel that jared leto or marlon waynes could have been nominated uh, yeah the ones i'm mainly mad about are the score and editing yeah, because, because they're just they are level. some of the best ever but i'll be honest with you this is a movie that very much the at the time like if you look at what won it's aaron brockovich like there's a much more i don't know i feel like we were very much on a more of an uptrend of like i don't know happiness you know what I mean? Like, and then nine eleven happened, and then we got torture porn. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if this movie came out like a year later, it probably would have 
Well, I don't know. I th- it probably would have done worse. This is such a downer. American audiences. <laughs> it's such yeah. a downer. But yes, this absolutely is a five star film. Like I never slapped a five star on something so fast. Uh, I don't want to watch this again that. for another ten years. But uh, it's brutal. It's honest. I think it's a very important film. I think people should fucking watch it. Everybody should watch it once just for the technical mastery behind and in front of the camera, but also it's it's message. Like, don't do drugs. Don't do fucking drugs. If I had taken this movie to heart a little bit more, I maybe would have never done it. But yes, great movie. Don't want to watch it again. I'm, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, Um, I also looked up the Academy Awards that year to see who, who else was nominated and who won for score and who won like what won score and so score was crouching tiger hidden dragon which that's a damn good score too though but this deserved at least a better but it is a good score honestly i would have so the ones that were the nominated that year was crouching tiger hidden dragon shock a lot gladiator melina and the Patriot. Okay. And then what was uh, you said the other one was best editing. Yeah. Um. The best editing was Traffic was the winner, and the others' nominations were Almost Famous, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Gladiator, and Wonder Boys. A travesty that this wasn't on there. Agreed. You could. Almost Famous is really good, but you can almost take that one off. Actually, I would probably I would take, take off Wonder of them. Yeah. The budget for this was $4.5 and it made its budget back. It made $7.4 at the box office, which honestly is a little higher than I would have expected for this movie. <laughs> no, don't, don't underestimate the film, bros. Yeah. Uh, speaking of film bros, on Letterboxd, this has a score of 4.1. Honestly, because this is totally a letterbox this is type of movie. totally a letterbox movie. <laughs> yeah. If you want to uh, listen to something a little bit happier, you could ta- listen to me uh, a couple days after this episode drops. Talk about Pearl on the Drafty Quarters podcast. And that is a much I'm more. I'm a star. I'm a star. Uh, much more fun conversation. If you want to find us on the socials, the podcast is on Twitter, Blue Sky, Instagram, Facebook. Just search the name of the pod. You'll find it. If you want to talk to me, I'm on Twitter, Blue Sky, and Letterboxd at just happy to see you, number two, letter C, letter U. And Sean is on the same at. I'm at Murph the Smurf, M U R P H T H E S M U R P H. Yeah. And if you want to email us, our email is men who like men who like movies pod at gmail.com. Sean. Requiem for a Dream is done. What are we watching next time? <laughs> well, we're going to go from tears to laughter um, because I was smart and didn't schedule something rough to go after this, too. Um, we are getting a little bit more light, um, but still having, but still dealing with some uh, still prescient topics, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, we are talking about uh, Working Girl. We are. And that episode, a little peek behind the curtain, that episode is already in the can and it is wonderful. Definitely check that out. 
And please, if you like the pod, give us a rate. Give us a review. It helps a fuck ton. Like, a fuck ton. And if you want to help us out, there's a link in the description box. If you want to support the channel and maybe donate a little, donate a little bit, even 99 cents. Every penny goes into the pod. We're always buying and renting movies. We put a lot of money into this, so every little bit helps. Don't forget to be kind to people. It's hard out there. It fucking sucks. It's not that hard to be nice. And until next time, bye, everybody. Bye. We did it, Sean. We did it. Uh, oh, my fucking God. Thank you.